Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Top-notch sports talk you'll love. From two guys you know and love. Welcome to the Chalk Talk Podcast. So usually the heat doesn't kick on here in the studios because we're in a studio and it's supposed to be cold for a reason. I mean, we got to keep computers running in check and everything, but it is running a little bit. And thank God that's the case. It is so cold that my nose hairs were stinging as I was making my way outside to the car. Yeah, I mean, I had snow boots, you know, a big fur coat, a walrus, everything just to stay warm this morning. I mean, it was just insane out there. I was almost breaking out the line from SpongeBob. It's so cold, I can use my nose drippings as a pair of chopsticks. Yeah, pretty much. I played the actual clip, but if I play a millisecond of SpongeBob, Viacom's probably going to sue the crap out of us. So <laughs> yeah, so that's the best you're going to get. Welcome to the Chalk Talk Podcast in conjunction with Fox Sports Wheeling. Corey Clue, Chris Thoburn here with you. Appreciate you guys tuning into this episode here. There's plenty to get to, but... Some big news to start out with. The writing was pretty much on the wall. It just wasn't in permanent marker. It was more dry erase marker than anything else. But it is official now. The news broke about an hour ago before we recorded here. Ben Roethlisberger is now officially hanging him up. Yeah, I mean, what a fantastic career. Not the way, obviously, that he wanted to go out, but a very decorated career. A few Super Bowl rings to go with it. And just we thank number seven for everything. And uh, a new era is going to be starting in Steelers football now. Yep, two Super Bowls, 18 seasons as the Steelers quarterback, top 10 in, pretty, in nearly every passing category that you can think of. And pretty much arguably the best quarterback in franchise history. You're still going to have those that think Terry Bradshaw is going to be the best because of his four Super Bowl rings, and and I mean, rightfully so. But it's just the thing is, with Ben, it might not have always been pretty, but more times than not, he was able to get the job done, put up big numbers, especially toward the latter end of his career when he, when he, was, when he had the killer bees to work with and everything else. So in my opinion... Yeah, you still got to respect Bradshaw for everything that he did, and especially during during those days of the steel curtain and trying to trying to do their do his thing on the offensive side when the defense was doing its thing. But no, without a doubt in my mind, Ben's the best quarterback in in franchise history. And look at some of these names. I mean, Montana, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. What do those guys have in common? They didn't stay with their teams their entire career. The Steelers were blessed with somebody like Ben Roethlisberger that was that franchise quarterback that was a Pittsburgh name staple there. It's going to be tough to move on. But on the latter side of things, all the people that wanted Big Ben out, now you got your wish. We'll see if it's going to be Mason Rudolph. Is it Dwayne Haskins? Is it going to be somebody they draft? Is it somebody they pick up in free agency? Either way, that side of the spectrum now is going to get what they were wishing for, but the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Yeah, especially if the Vegas odds prove to be true and it does end up being Mason Rudolph who takes over. If that's the case, they're pretty much going to be wishing that Ben would have stuck it out one more year. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, really. I mean, and like I said, unless Mason pulls off a miracle here in the offseason, I mean, he's 
just not that prototypical type quarterback they were looking at because even when some of the pre-draft stuff came out, you know, they're looking at the offensive line and stuff now for the Steelers. So hard to tell what's going to happen down the road here. I keep forgetting the name of that center from Iowa, but it, but I, I wouldn't be mad. No, if they, he's tough. I, I, I wouldn't be mad if they draft him instead of a quarterback first round. Yeah, I mean, he's a fantastic player that could fit right into that system. I mean, because I mean, they were blessed for the longest time with Pouncey and a lot of great centers. But yeah, I mean, you really got to address some key spots now. And, and, it's, uh, we'll not that, and it's really not that Kendrick Green would be bad. I feel like he could be good in a couple of years. It's just that you just hear all these people saying that he might be better at a guard than he is a center yeah i mean and it's a hard position to kind of adjust to especially when you go from college football to the pros so we'll see what happens so here so it is now official now ben roethlisberger retiring from the steelers this morning and just simply put thank you seven for everything absolutely moving on here to the playoff action that happened over the weekend and quite possibly the most exciting weekend in the history of playoff football we start with the Bengals and the Titans and the Bengals pulling off the miracle despite Joe Burrow getting sacked nine times they're they're, they're able to stick with it and a last second field goal gives the Bengals a 19 to 16 win over the top seeded Titans and it, it, it just seemed like the Titans were just getting a little bit too cute or they were just trying to preserve or trying to preserve Derrick Henry because you figure with Henry with Henry coming back from his injury that they would just run it down their throats because Cincinnati's yeah. defense is not the best in the world, but they just they just did a little bit too much with passing, and that that was definitely one main factor that definitely shot them in the foot. And that and that's what I mean. You have Deonta Foreman breaks off that forty some yard run, and then you go down and you pass to somebody in triple coverage, and it was his first target of the game. Like Fitzpatrick's already thrown two interceptions. Like what are you doing? That and that's just one of the biggest things. You or mean Tannehill? Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, you I'm mean Tannehill, right? I, I'm so sorry about that. You're good, yeah, you're good. wrong Ryan there. But yeah, I mean Tannehill throws the three inter- or the two interceptions already, and then that one being his third one of the night. It's just what are you thinking down there? You have a guy like Derrick Henry. I understand. Yeah, he was getting slowed down a little bit on the night, but you had Foreman break off that big run. Why not stick to the running game? And then why are you going to a guy that didn't even have a target all game until then? Now the thing is, I keep hearing. I did hear a couple of jokes every now and then saying uh, maybe Tannehill's not the guy under center. Like. Just relax right there. Tannehill is not that bad of a quarterback. Tennessee no. has pretty much revived his career. It's just it's just a matter of execution on offense, and it was just totally way off. And then there there's even the other play too, where they're moving the ball, running running very well, and then they do a out route to Chester Rogers that only gets them three or four yards. So it's just the play calling was really really questionable in that game, especially when they got the running game going. I mean, you knew Brown was going to have a big game. You knew Julio was going to come back and have a big game. But even some missed targets there by Tannehill, too. I mean, he had, um, I think how you say it, uh, Fersker was wide open in the middle of the field. And then, once again, he threw in the triple coverage. You were moving the ball well. It's just very, very questionable play calling in that game. Now, even though Cincinnati was able to hang with them and kick the last second field goal to win, of course, it's not all roses for them. I mentioned, I mentioned it right at the start. Joe Burrow sacked nine times. And this is kind of exactly the reason why... I said that they should pro- they should have probably drafted uh, Penny Sewell instead of going for Jamar Chase. Now, they probably wouldn't have had as much success this year if they would have went that route, but you can imagine that Joe Burrow, after this season, w- whenever it comes to an end for them, is going to be like, hey, 
you better beef up the O-line. Yeah, give me some protection out there. But, I mean, I tell you what, though, Jamar Chase, what a game he had. Five receptions, 109 yards. Joe Burrow, 348 yards on 28 completions. Did have the one interception. Mixon getting the big touchdown there for Cincinnati. It seems like all the skilled pieces are together for them right now. But, yeah, they have to get some protection for Burrow. Another reason I think, you know, you and I both thought that, that they were going to look at Penny Sewell was because of the way that the previous season had ended for yeah. Joe Burrow with his knee injury. But he's doing Joe Burrow things right now. They're able to get things together. I think the Bengals match up better with the Chiefs than what the Titans would have matched up with the Chiefs. I think this next game is going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Well, just keep in mind, a couple weeks ago, the Bengals were able to beat the Chiefs and in like a mm-hmm. similar fashion and in, 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 pretty, in pretty much a walk-off fashion. So, yeah. Yeah, Cincinnati can definitely compete with Kansas City. No, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, and it's going to be exciting to watch. But yeah, you got to get that protection for Joe Burrow. And like you said, there was very questionable play calling there by Tennessee. But on the other side of the spectrum here, you have to give props to that Cincinnati defense. They really buckled down when they needed to. So then later on Saturday night, the Niners take on the Packers and then in Pretty much a similar fashion. A walk-off field goal by Robbie Gold gives the Niners the 13-10 win over the Packers and pretty much starts the speculation again of if Aaron Rodgers is going to if is going to leave or stay in Green Bay. But just to, just to touch up on that real quick, because we're going to talk a little bit more about Rodgers and even Tom Brady mulling their futures here in a few minutes, but I just don't like Aaron Rodgers' body language after the game. Just pretty much hands in his hand warmer, just... just pretty much in a blank stare as he walked out the field. I could tell from the look of his eyes and nothing, nothing's official with this or anything like that by any means, but I can just see it in his eyes. He doesn't, he wants out. Yeah, he really does. And it's something that we talked about all summer with the Aaron Rodgers saga and everything. You could tell that he wants out. And I mean, he did a lot of what he could in that game. I mean, 20 completions on 29 attempts, 225 yards, most of them to the running back, uh, Aaron Jones, but yeah, he did everything he could in that game. And it was a tale of one quarter. And it was that fourth quarter is what it came down to. The Packers had that game won. I mean, obviously the weather really sucked yep. up there. And I think that's why a lot of these teams were slowed down the way that they were. But it came down to that fourth quarter. They had it in the bag. And then San Francisco just rattles off those final 10 points. And also pretty much came down to special teams play in that game. It's like I always say, you never know how important special teams is until it has an impact on the game. And it definitely had an impact on this game. Because it, it wasn't a guaranteed field goal. Because once again, going back to the weather, I mean, no field goal is guaranteed. But I yeah. mean, especially with the weather elements up there. And um, But the local flavor on this, man, I tell you what, so happy for Colton McKivitz, former Union local guard and also WVU. Go get that ring, big guy, man. I'm cheering for you. And just what a story he is. And and especially with the, with the Niners here. They they look they look so much better than they were in the midseason. They caught on at the right time in the second half, and you just gotta imagine Jimmy Garoppolo has got to be feeling a little bit better. There's still going to be that skepticism as long as he's a 49er of if if and when Trey Lance should be starting. But Garoppolo's getting the job done, and that's pretty much all that you can ask for. You just hope 
that the Niners that the Niners faithful can appreciate that and maybe try to stick it out with them. They really can indeed. And I tell you what, though, it helps when you have a Swiss Army knife like Debo Samuel and the type of season that he's having, mm-hmm. line him up in the backfield, line him up at receiver. But speaking of the backfield, too, I mean, they have two or three backs that can carry the ball, too. So it's going to take that pressure off of Garoppolo. But the big question is, yeah, you went after Trey Lance in the first round. How long are they going to hang on to Garoppolo now? And just to speak on Debo Samuel, we we pretty much seen it, especially in the second half of the season, how versatile he is. I mean, he pretty much saved my fantasy team and got me to the championship game. But I did did see him get up uh, hobbling late in the game. So hopefully he's going to be healthy for this game against the Rams coming up. But there is no doubt that the Niners are caught fire at the right time. They really have indeed. And especially Debo, too. I mean... They had a lot of injuries going into the season, um, even before the season started. And then early in the season, they really brought things back together. I mean, even, like I said, the Colton McKivitt story, I mean, for a while there, he was just on the practice squad, and then he gets thrusted into a starting role because of how thin they've been on the line. So what a you know comeback story for the 49ers. And uh, like I said, one of the underdogs here. But right now they have my vote, especially with the local flavor there in uh, McKivitt's. So then the next day on Sunday, the Rams traveling down to Florida to take on Tampa Bay. And it was a really shocking result at first because I kept checking in in one of the uh, in one of the suites they hit because, of course, Naylor's were playing that afternoon. But we it, but it was on TV in one of the suites. I'm looking and the Rams are up 27 to three. I'm like, what is going on? But then. Later on, it's seriously what is going on because mm-hmm. Tampa Bay is able to come back with about a minute left in regulation. And I, I, I just keep saying, does somebody know the Heimlich over there? Because the Rams are choking. But then Tampa Bay ends up blowing it because, because of a blown coverage. Cooper Cup, he's able to get wide open. And fortunately, he's quickly tackled. But he's an easy field, sets up the Rams for an easy field goal. And they're able to kick it at the end of regulation. And the Rams end up escaping Tampa Bay with a win. I'll tell you what, Cooper Cup, man, one of the diamonds in the rough there. Mm -hmm. And just, I don't know, did you actually get to read a little bit of that story about him and his wife, where his wife is a few years older than him, actually picked up from the University of Arkansas to follow him to Eastern Washington, worked a couple jobs just so they could make it by so he could pursue his NFL dream. So, like, I saw the headline scrolling on it. I really should have tapped on it, but I didn't. Yeah, I mean, just. She was his rock from the beginning, and one of the reasons why he's successful as he is, and just, and I, I've always been a big FCS fan, so I knew what he did up at Eastern Washington. But nine catches, one hundred and eighty-three yards, and then Odell Beckham. I mean, just the way that his career has been revived since he's been out of Cleveland. It's a very, very dangerous football team, and especially since since you see Matthew Stafford pretty much getting the opportunity to show everyone his potential. I mean. It's not like he didn't get to show it in Detroit. It's just pretty much his career, for the most part, was ruined because he played in Detroit. But it's just good to see Matt Stafford take this opportunity that he's been given and just run with it. And now they're one win away from a Super Bowl. Yeah, especially with from all the targets. From being in the Super Bowl, I should say. Yeah, and especially with all the targets they have, too. And then even in the running back position with Cam Akers, even though he only had one carry, you still have Sony Michelle back there. I mean, this is a very, very deep team on offense. Got to tighten it up a little bit on defense there in the later half. And also uh, ball security because a fumble from them pretty much led to the game-tying touchdown for Tampa Bay. So, yeah, yeah, you might want to hold on to the rock a little tighter. Yeah, I mean, that being, you know, Cam Akers that I was referring to. But the biggest thing that I could see them causing a lot of problems, I mean, you have Von Miller, you have Aaron Donald, 
you can't double team both of these guys now. So these guys are going to have to become a bigger factor now in in that defense for LA. If they can get that, you know, if they can get those guys into the backfield causing havoc and everything, the Rams should have the red carpet to the Super Bowl. And just the other thing here for the Rams, Jalen Ramsey, it, it's it's just not every day you see him get burned and then he got burned by Mike Evans during the course of that comeback for Tampa Bay and it, it was it was just weird to see, and you just hope that he kind of snaps out of it for Sunday. And it's almost like so he I've seen him do that in the playoffs before, so it's just like it, it must be that mindset for him too. But yeah, they have all the key components in place right now, but they got to bring it all together. And then later on Sunday night, the Chiefs and the Bills, and pretty Ooh. much the game of what could be pretty much the game of the decade, maybe even the game of the century. Who knows? But the Chiefs and Bills pretty much trading shots, especially in the final minutes of regulation. And I really thought for a moment that the Bills, when they scored with 13 seconds left, that they pretty much had it. But yeah, kick it into the end zone, probably not the best thing to do. And then Patrick Mahomes just working his magic. But the thing is, it just seemed like all night and on both sides of the ball, but on Buffalo especially, they just kept giving up those yards over the middle in that mid-range passing. And you just can't do that when you have pretty much the fastest receiver in the league in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who's just going to feast on that. Well, and did you hear the conversation that went on between Tyreek Hill and Kelsey? They were talking with their offensive coordinator and they said, look, Tyreek needs to go this way toward the sideline. I need to go across the middle because it's going to be open. And sure enough, that's what it was. And that's what they did on that final play. And that's why Kelsey was able to get so wide open. And that's just football IQ right there. Just knowing what you're seeing out there on the field, because let's face it. The players, the head coach, the OCs, they're not going to catch everything. That's where the team really comes together. And that was just perfect. You know, sending Hill to one side, Kelsey to the other. And that's why they're in the position they were. And then, of course, they were able to feast on that in overtime. I mean, Miko Hardman had, had pretty much the big play that set up the Kelsey touchdown. But then you get into the debate of what should the NFL do with the overtime rules because Buffalo did not get a chance to respond. And like it, I get it carrying the rules from the regular season over to the postseason, but it's got it, it's got to be different. It, like the other team needs a chance to to touch the ball and at least try to respond. It it can't just end with a touchdown. No, I agree one hundred percent. And if you need if you want to make a rule change here and there, I get with the pace of play and stuff like that. But you give the other team an opportunity. So like let's say one goes down, makes a field goal, the other makes a field goal. If you don't want to keep, even at that time, maybe take the clock out of the picture there Mm -hmm. and turn it into the shootout that it is in college football where one team starts on 25 and teams get to respond. It's, yeah, I definitely don't agree with it. But if you're Buffalo, though, you also understand the rules and you understand the fact that you shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. But I tell you what. Props to Josh Allen, the way that he handled that so professionally. He literally looked and said, if it was, if we would have won the coin toss, we would have been the ones that... So the way that he handled that, I thought was perfect. Very true there. But and I heard an idea yesterday for, for the overtime rule, and it, it's, it's kind of one that I'm going to run with right here. If the team that gets the ball first does score a touchdown, they then have to proceed with, a, with just a two-point conversion. No kick. Just a two-point conversion. And then the other team gets a chance to respond and see if they can score a touchdown because they know what pretty much they got to do. 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of like what we were talking about, too. I, I like that fact as well. And um, especially if you kick in that two-point conversion, it, it makes it a lot a lot more difficult, too. So I, I could definitely run with that one, too. I mean, I mean, that's pretty much how college, college does it these days. Once you get to the third overtime, it's pretty much a two-point conversion. I, I, I wouldn't say shootout because it's not hockey, but it's pretty much... You're you're trading two point conversions. Yeah, I, that's exactly how I called it was a shootout. I mean, I I, I don't necessarily like that rule, so to say, just nah, the one two really. point conversion. But I wouldn't even mind them going to the college overtime rules with everybody starting on the twenty five and the four downs and all that. But I, mean, I, I I wouldn't necessarily do it for the twenty five. I'd still have the kickoffs and everything, but. But it's just that the the team that gets the ball first, if they don't, if if they're not able to get a get a score or anything like that, then I then I guess the other team takes over where they stop. Who knows? But yeah, and I'm just I'm just not I'm just not a fan of them starting from the 25 yard line just because I think because it's the NFL and it's probably going to be a little bit too easy. It might be indeed. And now that you say that too, but yeah, either way. We're both definitely in agreement that both teams need to touch the football. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But with all that said, we are now down to the final four here. Bengals going up against the Chiefs. Niners going up against the Rams. Of course, my Super Bowl prediction was pretty much debunked, but still my my champion is still intact, the Chiefs, so I'll still stick with that. But I feel like it's going to be against the Niners here. As much as I want to see Matthew Stafford in the Super Bowl, and and get get the opportunity that he so rightfully deserves because he's definitely one of the more underrated quarterbacks of my generation. It's just that the Niners are the hotter team right now, and it, 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 there's just some kind of magic going on with them right now that I just cannot deny. It's going to be really really close, but I'm going to roll with the Niners. I had to go with the Rams just because of the defense. I think they're going to figure everything back out and they're going to be able to play picture-perfect defense against the Niners, but I am definitely in agreement with the Chiefs. I think both games are going to be extremely close. The AFC, I mean, with Kansas City and Cincinnati, that that game's going to be an absolute shootout again, I believe. I could see that being a 40 to 30s type game. I think the Rams the Rams and Niners, that's going to be a little bit lower scoring. I still see both teams kind of getting into the 20s there. But but either way, fans are going to be in for a show coming up. And the good thing is with the Super Bowl being in California, in L.A., it's going to be good to have a California team oh, absolutely. in the Super Bowl. Now, you know for sure that the that people want would want it to be the Rams more than anything else because it's their home stadium. But... But but just the fact that it's going to be in California, it's definitely going to be a nice touch. And then just this entire weekend in general, aside from the Chiefs, it's like I said last week. It's just the madness from the regular season of all these upsets and everything just keeps carrying over into the postseason. I know it's not Chinese New Year, but this really is the year of the underdog. It really is, and that's what I love to see, too. And there, there's there been some years that you could predict, all oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. This has just been a very, very unpredictable season. Unfortunately, injuries and stuff like that had a lot to do with it. You know, COVID still floating around here had something to do with it. But it's definitely been a fantastic year. Whoever thought, though, that these would be the final four teams? I mean, I think a lot of people, like you said, had the Chiefs. But especially what the Bengals had to do to even put themselves in a playoff mm-hmm. position, let alone you know get on top of the division. I mean, just everything that they did, props to them. So with Green Bay losing and with Tampa Bay losing, it now brings up the question of whether Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady will be back next year because we all know the saga with Aaron Rodgers. But 
it seems like at the very least it's not this decision on whether or not he's going to come back isn't going to be as long and drawn out as it was last offseason because it seems like he's taking into account that Devontae Adams could very well be a free agent and he doesn't want to screw up the Packers in their offseason plans that way because you can imagine that, yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers and you want to retain him, but at the same time, you have one of the better receivers in the game as well and you better keep him too. So it's good to know that it might not be as long and drawn out this offseason as it was last offseason, but... You just hope that there it just doesn't get as messy as well. Yeah, absolutely, indeed, and I mean that's one of the biggest things. But another thing he's got to consider is is the grass greener on the other side. I mean, where is he going to end up? I mean, obviously the Texans are somebody that's kind of looking for a quarterback with the whole Deshaun Watson situation. Well, even the Broncos right now because the Packers' offensive coordinator just became the yeah. Broncos' head coach this morning. Yeah, so you have the Broncos. I mean, you have the Steelers right now. So there, there is some decent landing spots for him, but that's just the biggest question. And obviously he's got to weigh out all the options now. And then just kind of surprising that Tom Brady might be mulling retirement, but just the way that he was talking during his post-game press conferences, like he was satisfied with everything that happened this year, and it's just weird to hear him say it, but there's definitely a very real possibility that Brady could finally be hanging him up, and it's just surprising to see because the way he takes care of himself and the statement that he made a few years ago, he feels like he could play till 50, it was looking like a possibility, but but, but it, it's just shocking to hear him speak the way that he's speaking, and even how Rob Gronkowski was speaking yesterday as well, that it's it, it's kind of going to hinge on whether he comes back, whether Brady comes back. Yeah, and I mean, they've kind of been that package deal, so to say, for yeah. since day one, but um, if he does retire, I mean... Just everything that he's been able to do. I mean, obviously he's financially set too, so it's just the love of the game right now is why Tom Brady's playing. And uh, I, I always said when you know they won the Super Bowl before, that would have been the time that I got out. But the guy loves the game. I gave him props for that, and I mean he has been the ageless wonder out there. So we'll see what is next in Tom Brady's uh, career, and even with Robert Gronkowski. But one thing, one person we know for sure is stepping away at the moment is Sean Payton, stepping away from his duties as New Orleans head coach a couple days ago. Now, whether he goes into TV or something else in broadcasting this year, who knows? And he didn't rule out returning to coaching. It's just that his heart's just not in the right place to be in coaching right now. Yeah, and that's when you know that you have to step out, when you just can't do it anymore, when your heart's not there. You step out, you do what's best for you, and you do what's best for an organization that supported him for so long. But but the thing is, I keep hearing these rumors of the Dallas Cowboys and if they're going to try to coax Sean Payton to go to go to Dallas. It just doesn't make any sense because I know Mike McCarthy is not the best with clock management and he's had a lot of questionable moments this year. But the team did get better this year and you want to give him a chance to see if he can build off of that. And at the same time, if Sean Payton steps away from New Orleans just to become the coach of Dallas He's going to go from one of the most beloved people in New Orleans to, yeah, he's probably not going to be invited back because he's going to be looked at as Judas. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, he's got to weigh that option, too. And uh, I, I thought it was crazy, too, because, I mean, it did, it came completely out of left field there when he announced that. So, And then right, it was almost right away, you started hearing the rumblings about Dallas, and it's like, oh, boy, what is this all about? But, but, but you kind of understand where Sean Payton is coming from because this past season was really, really rough on the team, going through so many different quarterbacks, dealing with so many different injuries, and still able to get a winning record out of it somehow. 
it's definitely it's definitely proof of why Sean Payton has been one of the better coaches in these last 15 years or so. But it's just the situation with this year, the situation down the road. Some some of the players are older, and the salary cap issue is not that good. And especially if your heart's not in it, like you said, it's probably just best to step away right now. Yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be a big thing, but like I said, you leave a big hole there in New Orleans right now with all the injuries and stuff. I mean, you know, getting Taysom Hill in there, getting a few other quarterbacks. They seem that... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No matter who they threw out there, it was still a competitive game or they were able to win. That's when you know you have a great football coach. So we'll definitely see what shakes out with New Orleans, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, because there's a lot of change coming to those in the bays. Yeah, yeah, especially in the bays right there. <laughs> I, I was thinking it. I didn't necessarily say it, so you're pretty much reading my mind right there. So good, good to know. Again, this is the Chalk Talk Podcast in conjunction with Fox Sports Wheeling. Corey Klug, Chris Thoburn here with you. And if you want to listen to past episodes, we're on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So... We'll go to college basketball here real quick because this past weekend here locally, of course, the big rivalry between West Liberty and Wheeling University went down on the hilltop and West Liberty able to sweep Wheeling in both the women's and the men's game. I was there for a couple of hours before I had to do my duties with the Nailers later on that night, but the way the West Lib were, women were playing, just so much efficient passing and clogging the passing lanes over on the other end. It, it, it truly was a sight to see, and I, I, I had no idea how short-handed this team is. Oh yeah, because because there's only ten players on that team. I, I had absolutely no idea, but it seems like this is a team that just gets the most out of what they have. And Audrey Tingle is just absolutely amazing. She really is indeed. And I tell you what, though, they've kind of almost adopted that men's type style that West Liberty had always played. You know, almost, yeah, yeah. Just the way that they're they even put up a hundred in that game. Yeah, yeah, and not even the score, but just the fact of being able to create turnovers and be able to create those fast breaks and get those fast buckets. Because, I mean, I, I've obviously you and I both have been around West Liberty sports for a long time, and the men's always been like that. I mean, it just turns into a track meet every single game. Now the women are really picking up on that. And, I mean, especially the way they were moving the ball in that game. I mean, I was like you, I didn't get to see the entire thing, but was able to catch bits and pieces of it. And just the ball movement and just setting themselves up for easy buckets so to say and pretty much carried over into the win last night with davis and elkins and pretty much the same thing andre tingle pretty much taking over in that game so west liberty it it might not be the best record for them at the moment but they're definitely a team you don't want to sleep on especially with the mentality that they have of we're all we got but we're all we need yeah, and especially, I mean, the MEC tournament's going to be coming up here in March. So you got about another month of regular season ball, and, you know, the tournament's going to kind of take shape there. You also have it in the back of your mind now that the number one, the number one team in Division II women's basketball is also in your conference right now, that being Glenville State, that plays a very, very similar style. They like those fast breaks, they like to create turnovers. They're going to press the ever loving heck out of you, too. 
West Liberty figured, hey, if it's working for the number one team, it could work for us. And just like night and day from the beginning of the year, I saw one of their games in the beginning of the year, and this just almost seems like a different basketball team. And then on the men's side, you knew Wheeling was going to come out guns blazing because it was pretty tight to begin the first to begin the first half. But then West Liberty started doing what they were doing, and the press, especially after the first half, was working very very well, forcing turnovers. Over, over on Wheeling's side of the ball and then just resulting in easy points. So pretty much West Liberty able to take over in the latter parts of that first half. But you knew Wheeling, even even though this season has pretty much been a struggle for them, you knew they were going to come out tough. And you have a guy like Jordan Reed that's been in those situations, has been in this rivalry game for a very long time. And he coming into his senior season now, he'd obviously like to get a win against the Hilltoppers before he heads out. But even back in my day in college, I mean, no matter what, it was always a tight game between Wheeling and West Liberty, no matter who was who. I mean, there was a time West Liberty was number one team. Jesuit wasn't even ranked. And West Liberty goes in the Madonna Center and loses. So, I mean, it's just you never know what's going to happen in this rivalry. And that's why I love it. I'd love to even see it. I, I understand the home court advantage and everything. I'd love to see it down here at West Banco Arena sometime. Maybe get, you know, everybody down here. But it's a rivalry. And I'm, I'm really glad that it keeps going. But, I mean, yeah. West Liberty has just really had Wheeling's number here in the past few years. And then, of course, the men able to keep things rolling against Davis and Elkins last night as well. So it seems like ever since that, ever since kind of kind of blowing the lead to Fairmont, Fairmont State, it seems like the West Liberty men are starting to turn things around here. And you, you just hope that they can finish strong before the MEC tournament. Well, and, and losing builds character. And that's one thing that I've already always noticed about West Liberty, even in the Crutchfield era. If they lost a game, I feel bad for the team that has to play them next because mm-hmm. they're not only going to fix those mistakes, they're going to come out guns a-blazing. And, th- and that's the one thing that even the years that they lost in the national championship or they lost in the semifinals, they had a loss in the regular season too. And that's what completely turned them around. And that's really when you got the best out of West Liberty basketball. So on the larger scale, in Division One, the carousel for the number one team in the country continues. Auburn... It's your turn, and you almost blew it Tuesday, barely escaping Missouri with a win. But you you, you just got to wonder how long Auburn is able to stay in this spot because especially last season and even this season, like I said, it's just been a carousel at the top. Well, especially when you have five teams, or excuse me, four teams there at the top that only have two losses. But Auburn, 19-1, and one, they deserve to be there for mm-hmm. sure. So, so just just looking down the road here for Auburn because, like I said, barely escaped a win over with a win over Missouri on Tuesday night. They don't play again till Saturday, but it's a part of the of the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. They're they're going up against Oklahoma, who just or just fresh off a win against WVU. So, Oklahoma, they're definitely not someone to take lightly. No, absolutely not. And then you have the Iron Bowl version of basketball coming up on the first with them in Alabama. So you know that's going to be a big game. And then you go on the road for two straight at Georgia and Arkansas. And the SEC, I understand, yeah, they've been down a little bit in basketball this year. But, I mean, there's still some very, very good teams. And it's not going to be a red carpet laid out for Auburn for sure. And then, of course, for WVU, of course, losing to Oklahoma earlier this week. It just seems like the bottom is falling out on the Mountaineers, especially in this game against Oklahoma. Just not a good shooting night in general. They held Tash Sherman in check. It, it, 
it, it was a nice start for the Mountaineers, but now they're starting. It, it, it's starting to kind of, kind of unravel a bit. Well, in that second half, too, Oklahoma forced so many contested shots, especially outside the paint, and that's what a lot of basketball coaches will say. Hey, you know, layups count the same as if you're shooting out by the foul line. Like, try to get the ball into the paint and make it easier on you to get the two points. They were covering WVU out on the arc, too. I mean, it was pretty picture-perfect defense for Oklahoma once they made those second-half adjustments and forcing those contested shots. So you just hope some way, somehow, that the Mountaineers are able to kind of sort of turn this around because they they were in such good standing, especially in the bracketology, but now, especially in these latest ones, they're kind of in that double-digit seed range, and now you're going to be in the bubble if you keep losing. So kind of got to turn it around here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, NIT might be that was one of the other destinations I've seen, but they're not going to be content with that, especially with the way that they started the season. And it wasn't like they started the season with walk in the park teams, not not by any means. I mean, you beat a ranked UConn team. You beat a very good Youngstown State team. I don't care what anybody says about that. That's a good basketball team right there. So they get the big wins. But once they got in the conference, they've just kind of laid the egg. But the good thing is, Corey, there's still some time here before that conference tournament that they can kind of right the ship here. Absolutely. So moving over here to the ice and we'll start here with the Penguins, who could be at least tied for first place after tonight. If they beat the Kraken over at the paint camp tonight and if the Rangers at least at least go past regulation and or, or have an overtime loss against Columbus tonight, those two teams are going to be tied for first place in the Metro, a scenario that pretty much wasn't you had you had a tough time believing two months ago but with the hot streak that the pens are on right now it's now a reality it really is indeed and i mean but my biggest thing is what on earth is going on with the blue jackets right now <laughs> so i'm not holding my breath that they're going to be able to knock off the rangers let's just call a spade a spade mm-hmm. but the good thing is about the Penguins, you can't worry about what other teams are going to do. You got to worry about what you're going to do. So you got to take care of business. Don't forget, too, the Penguins also have a game in hand on the Rangers, too, mm-hmm. which is nice. The Hurricanes, obviously, right on their heels, too. The, they have three games in hand on the Penguins. So that, I mean, that's a little bit of a rough situation. But just take care of business here. Don't underestimate the Kraken. I mean, obviously, they're not a team that's been real strong this year, but you need to assert your dominance, get out there, and don't take your foot off that pedal. Yeah, if you're wondering why Chris wasn't so high on the Blue Jackets, 61 shots on them last night when they played Calgary, and Calgary just routed them six, six to nothing. I six believe, nothing. Right? Yeah, it's just I don't know what is going on with them right now. They're just not getting together. I mean, it's it's probably going to work out well for me here in a month. I'm hoping they kind of stay on this losing skid when the Kings come in, and you know <laughs> maybe I can enjoy a Kings victory up there for the first time in five years but yeah i mean it's just uh, yeah i don't know what's going on with the blue jackets so if you're the pens you got to know and pretty much guarantee you're not going to get any help from columbus in this game so go out take care of business but Corey, just the way that the penguins have been playing with everybody pretty much getting back into the lineup they see something out of jeff carter here they think he has two more good years left in him so they re-sign him to that contract all the pieces are in place I'll be anxious to see if they do anything at the trade deadline. I don't really feel like there needs to be any movement with the way things are going right now, but this is a great team. If they can stay healthy and hot, look out. Yeah, I don't really think trades should be made either because you don't want to ruin that continuity. You don't want to ruin the fight that this team has because that fight was definitely put to the test Sunday afternoon when they played Winnipeg and Tuesday night when they played Phoenix because 
Phoenix, yeah, they 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 kind of suck. Let's you know, let's just. Let's just call it what it is. But the effort was there. It's just a hot third period for the Pens was able to carry them over. And then Sidney Crosby decides to do, 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 do all kinds of fancy stuff with passes between the legs. And Brian Boyle pretty much were one of the goals of the year. But then Sunday, you, you knew that this game against the Jets was not going to be easy oh, because, no. yeah, the Jets are pretty much hot and cold and you don't know which team you're going to get. But you still have one of the best goaltenders in the lead in Connor, Hel- in Connor Hellebuck. So, it definitely wasn't going to be easy, but Tristan Jari definitely stood out in that game, and just just Jari's resurgence this year. I mean, it, getting back into the All Star game, but you can just tell it was weighing heavy on his mind the way everything ended last year. That he wanted to that he wanted to step up and prove that he can be that he could finally be the guy that the Pens can depend on, and so far so good. Yeah, I mean, he has just played absolutely out of his mind. And going back to your comment even about the Jets, I mean, yeah, you look at their record and they're not the greatest, but they have one of the top scorers in Kyle Connor. You can never count out Shifley. I mean, this is a very, very good hockey team that they beat. And then Jari, oh my goodness, was just lights out in that shootout too. I mean, stopping a guy like Connor and then forcing Pierre-Luc Dubois to basically shoot the puck wide. I mean, it's just, these aren't guys that typically mess up now he did get beat on the one and the post was his best friend but just what this guy has been able to do he had a lot of pressure going in there too because everybody was like oh matt murray matt murray well you know where's matt murray now i mean he's basically going floating between the ahl and the nhl right now so that shows you that the penguins made the right choice jari has that confidence now and he's going to be very dangerous here and as you've mentioned quite a few times here on the podcast, the bottom six pretty much striking again, especially in that Arizona game. And you definitely wanted to see them step up, especially after Teddy Bluger is now going to be out a couple months with a broken jaw. Yeah, it's just a bummer. I mean, he was having himself a great season and uh, just a bummer to see that. But it's going to give guys like whoever they decide to call up, whether it is Drew O'Connor, what is Redeem Sahorna. And the thing I like about Sahorna too is, I mean, he's he hasn't had a lot of opportunities yet, but if you get him in the lineup, that gives you one of those bigger presents that the Penguins have been missing a little bit. Yeah, you have Carter. Yeah, you have Malkin. But Sahorna gives you that winger now that can go stand in front of the net and cause havoc. That's what I love about him. He's a nice big forward. He's young, too. I mean, he's I think he's only 23, 24, so he still has some time to develop. So, as Chris mentioned, the Pens are hosting the Seattle Kraken tonight for a chance to win 18 of their last 20 games. Still cannot fully wrap my mind around, around that. How, that is insane. It's just crazy. But then no rest for the Wicked. Tomorrow night, they host the Red Wings. And then Sunday afternoon, they're hosting the Kings before their final game before the All-Star break when they host the Capitals this coming Tuesday. And as I'm looking at the schedule on, my, on one of my apps here, I'm seeing the breaking news that the Chicago Bears – have found their new head coach. They're hiring Colts defensive coordinator Eberflus, uh, uh, who's, who's going to be the head guy in Chicago. So Matt Eberflus, just got to see this just now, the former Colts defensive coordinator, now the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Blah. I like that. I think that's a great pickup for them. I mean, oh, yeah. they, they need to work a little bit on the offensive side of things. I mean, you have a defensive-minded coach, but no, definitely, definitely a great pickup here. I mean, he really had some things going this year, just didn't have the right pieces, but obviously the Bears see him as head coach material and see if they can turn that program around. I'm just happy all the good breaking news is happening either before the podcast or during the podcast because most of the time the juicy breaking news happens when we're done recording. So I'm just happy that we're able to bring it to you as we're recording it because 
more times than not, we don't have good luck with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been several times I'll be back in my office and Corey's like, hey, did you see this? It's like, gosh darn it. <laughs> exactly. So finally, something working out in that realm there. But st- sticking with the ice here, sticking now going to the lower level here for the Nailers. And it was good to see them get revenge on Kalamazoo this past Friday, but then a rough go with Iowa Saturday and Sunday, especially on Saturday when the first period pretty much turned into fight club and you you could just tell that pretty much after that point, the emotion was kind of drained out. And unfortunately, Iowa had their way. That's one of the things, too. So if in case you don't follow the Nailers, there was a situation in Iowa. And, you know, I'm going to speak on this a little bit because of being a former player where a six foot three, 220 pound guy jumped a guy that was five foot ten, one one seventy. Mm-hmm. You knew something was going to happen the next game. They sent Josh Victor out there. He fights him right off the draw. He busts him wide open. That should have been the end of it right there. They should have just went on and played the game Nailers hockey like they knew how, but yet they were still trying to take liberties on certain players. You got to let it go after that. You got your revenge. Now you need the ultimate revenge and you need to win that game. I felt that Iowa got their heads back into the game. They played a very boring style of hockey, but it worked for them. They played very conservative. They waited for the Nailers to make mistakes, and that's how Iowa got four out of their five goals this weekend was forcing the Nailers to make mistakes. But even just one of my bigger gripes from that weekend with with the with the games against Iowa, and I never want to criticize refs like this, but some of the calls during those two games, especially Saturday, I pretty much wasted my voice for pretty much screaming at them. Like you see all the fighting that happened Saturday, and if anyone shoves another player, you're pretty much taking them both off. And and I understand that, but at one point. When Tyler Drevich and another one of the Iowa players are shoving each other, if you only take Drevich to the box and not the other yeah. and not the Iowa player, what the hell? Be yeah. consistent. Well, and I mean, a lot of that had to do, and you know, usually I'm a pretty quiet guy during the game, but I mean, I was chirping at the Iowa coach because after every single period, he's over there talking to the officials, and I'm just like, yeah, keep buying your calls. But that also has to be a situation, though, where Derek Army needs to send one of his captains over and find out what the officials are talking about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that's a little bit of the inexperience there with Derek Army. But, yeah, you because sometimes they can buy calls. It does happen, folks. <laughs> so, you know, that was the unfortunate part in that game. But like Derek said, you're going to win games that you have no business winning you're going to lose games that you have no business losing that's what happened to iowa but the good thing is though the nailers knew what mistakes they made and then they rebound in a big way last night yeah especially stefan is because he he hasn't really played all that bad in this recent stretch of games he had to start his 10th straight game last night and he hasn't played all that bad the record is not indicative of how he's done it's just that most of the time, he's kind of been hung out to dry. I hate to say that, but that's the truth. But Stephanus Lekas, he, he, he pretty much had to stand on his head a couple times during the first period last night, but he's able to get the win in Cincinnati 2 to nothing for his first for his first shutout. And it, it, it just feels like Lekas doesn't really get enough credit during this stretch, but he definitely got all the credit tonight and definitely deserves more. Yeah, he really did. And what a big win for the Nailers, too, especially when they had not one, but two goals called back in that game, too. But Chris Ortiz putting the team on his back, 
getting both goals there too and um you know what a breath of fresh air too getting alex stevens back in the lineup after missing 21 games with a concussion especially after david drake his time as a nailer didn't necessarily last long he's now on a pto and patrick watling again (laughs) but and that's a nice thing too i mean even with those guys going up you still have guys like brandon sajan that can come right back in the lineup dominic dockery the rookie out of maine playing really well josh victor's playing really well you know he's getting a little time off here now it's kind of been a matchup thing with him i expect him to be in the lineup on tomorrow night against cincinnati but they played extremely well and a big character win to start off now and it's just been weird because they had that mentality and this is what I love about Derek Army. I loved it as a player because he he thought this way too. I think they play better when they go into opposing buildings because it's them against the world. Yeah. And go all the way back to where even when we made that cup run, it was pretty much us against the world. And that's when we played the best when we had our backs up against the wall. So I really feel that they need to take all the momentum they can, try to get four out of six, five out of six, six out of six on this road trip because these are the teams, if you get into the playoffs, more more likely you're, Toledo's almost a lock. You're yeah. going to probably see Toledo at some point. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati, yeah, you're only two points behind them right now, so this is a big game on Friday to potentially tie them. But these are more likely the two teams that you're going to be competing with if you get into the playoffs there. Well, it's not so much a tie now, because keep, keep in mind, for some odd reason, they're starting to do the stands, standings by point percentage again oh so. that's right i forgot about that thank so, you yes so thank so you. the thing is you need more wins like that and you need all the points that you can get because now that the standings are back to point percentage for whatever reason you got to tighten up yeah you really do indeed but big opportunity this weekend and of course you're gonna have to go into toledo it's a very tough building to play i mean their fans are just absolutely ruthless i mean and they, they get big crowds you know up to ten thousand people to their games Got to go in there, quiet the crowd, and more than likely, you know, Derek Army kind of hinted that you know Brody Clays is probably going to get his first start and goal at some point this week. Try to give Lekas a little bit of time off, but um, he's going to have to play and prove himself now. And he, you know, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. He gets released by Worcester. He's been the backup to Lexus here, so he has a big opportunity to step up and just a huge, huge weekend here for the Nailers. So again, that that weekend, including another game with Cincinnati Friday night, and then they go over to, to Toledo Saturday night. And of course, you, you can catch both games over on Fox Sports Wheeling. So we'll close out this episode here with a little bit of baseball talk because you had the Hall of Fame nominees getting their chance to be inducted. David Ortiz was the only one to get named to the Hall of Fame earlier this weekend. Not by much. You need 75% of the vote to get in. He only got like a little over 77%, yeah, was close. if I remember correctly. But David Ortiz, nonetheless, he makes it in, and he's the only one to make it in in this class. And then you had the discussion of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, both in their 10th year of eligibility. Both do not get in. Of course, both of their reg- legacies marred by their past use of performance-enhancing drugs. But you get you you just get this debate of... Yeah, it was bad that they did it, but it's not a Hall of Character, it's a Hall of Fame. And Bonds has the numbers, Clemens has the numbers. And even an interesting quote from uh, Jeff Passan, one of the uh, MLB people for ESPN. The Hall of Fame is about the history of the game. And Barry Bonds is very much a part of the history of that game. That's basically what he was saying along those lines. Now, it might not be a good part of history... But he's a part of history nonetheless. So it just sparks up this debate again of these past people who have used performance enhancing drugs, but were still 
some of the better players in the league at the time and whether or not they really should be it. Well, Corey, look at it this way, too. You have the all-time hits leader in Pete Rose, and you have the all-time home runs leader Barry Bonds are both not in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I get where people are coming from with these things, but like you said, it's not a Hall of Character. And then if you really, really dig back into Barry Bonds' career, he had, what was that? I think it was 504 home runs before everything even started coming out about performance enhancing. I mean, because... Look at it. I mean, you know, you might have been like one or two at the time. I don't know, but how little he was there when yeah, he yeah, first... that time with the Pirates. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, mean, I he... was definitely less than two. Yeah, I mean, he he was extremely tiny, and even when he first started with uh, the Giants, he was he was a pretty tiny guy. He had a lot of home runs leading up to the performance enhancing drugs. Exactly. And and the way that I look at it too, yeah, does it give you more power and stuff behind the ball? Yeah. My thing is, you still have to make contact with the ball. True. And if you're Roger Clemens, you still have to place the ball where you're striking guys out and everything. So, and tell me it doesn't happen in every sport. It does. It, it really does. So, it, 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 yeah. It is frustrating to see, but I think that's where the biggest shame lies is the fact that your home runs leader and your hits leader are not in the Hall of Fame. And, he, and even with with Pete Rose, it wasn't because of performance enhancing drugs. It was because he because he bet on baseball and it pretty much affected the outcome. Of, it might have affected the outcome of some games. So, and I, I get where people are coming from with, with with trying to let them in, but but at the same time, you got to think about the example you're setting for the kids who come over to Cooperstown to check it out. And yeah, these guys cheated the game, but somehow they're in the Hall of Fame. It's just, it's just like what what kind of message is that sen- is that sending to the kids or that the MLB is trying to get into the game? Yeah, it really does indeed, and I mean that—that's where the debate is. Like I said, I, I get both sides of the argument. I do. Oh, me too. But I'm definitely giving my opinion that I feel that they deserve to be in there because of the numbers that they did put up. And then you see how Alex Rodriguez was able to do in his first year on the ballot, and only got like 34 percent of the vote or something like that. So, if that's any indication, it's not looking good for Ray Rod, especially. After Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens didn't make it. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the disappointing things too. I mean, all the names that you just mentioned there, they all they're all well deserving to be in there, especially with the way that A Rod's career started off. You know, he started off kind of rough and then boom, like he just emerges into one of the best players that played the game. And then even next year, I believe it's Carlos Beltran who has his first year of eligibility, but at the same time he was involved in the Astros cheating scandal, so you wonder what kind of weight that's gonna hold. I'm glad you brought that up because that was immediately what I was going to say. Is mm-hmm. like you have a few guys that are potential Hall of Famers there, but because of that whole scandal, are they going to get in? And I mean, Corey, if the things keep going the way that they are, I, I definitely do not see them getting in. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially with that situation. Yeah, me neither. And then, of course, the more dominating headline in this offseason, the collective bargaining agreement and the new negotiations for it and how far apart both sides seem to be. And they're still not necessarily close, mm-hmm. but they're kind of sort of chipping away at it because there was something about free agency that hit it, that I guess the Players Association dropped. So that at least there's that. They're still kind of far off on first-year starting salary and everything and quite a few other things. So, it's I mean, they're, they're trying to chip away at it. They're trying to get the season started on time, but there's still no real 
closeness when it comes to reaching an agreement. Yeah, and then, you know, it's something that it comes up every now and again. We've seen it with the NHL lockout. We've seen it with the MLB and everything before. But, yeah, you hope those sides can come together, especially after everything that we've dealt with here in these past few years with COVID, with, you know, having to play in front of no fans, things like that. You really hope that they could work this out and they could play ball and uh, keep trying to get us back to somewhat as much normal as we possibly can. I mean, the the thought of the season starting out a little bit later doesn't really get to me that much because it means it probably means I have to see the Pirates suck less because <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know Fox Sports Wheeling carries the Pirates games and everything, but it's, it just looks like another season of misery for the Pirates coming up if they do get on the field because... Even the one thing good you had about the team this year, Jacob Stallings, you trade him away. Yeah, I mean, it's just rough, What the hell? Well, and and that's what I mean, too. You know, being a Mets fan, I always get my hopes up because we have just this absolutely amazing starting lineup, and then it's just like, womp, womp, womp. So, yeah, I I definitely get you with not, if it is delayed a little bit, I'm probably not going to be that disappointed. So now you know where we stand on baseball seat. I mean, mean, we, we do hope they do come to an agreement, but... Given the respective situation with our teams, the the less we got to deal with the misery, the better. So that's going to put an end to this episode of the Chalk Talk podcast. And we thank you so much for joining us here this week. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we're on the iHeartRadio app, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So for Chris Dober, I'm Corey Kluke. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Chalk Talk podcast. Have yourself a good week and a good weekend. And until next time, keep calm and chalk on. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.